Well, hey guys, how's it going? So good to see y'all tonight. If I haven't met you before, I'm Kyle, and I'm one of the campus ministers here at the BCM. And uh, like you guys have heard, we're in the book of Luke tonight. So if you want to go ahead and take a Bible and, uh, and turn there, we've got some in the windowsills as well. So if you want to be old school analog and grab you a, a paper Bible, um, they are there for you. Uh, so like we mentioned, this year in Discovery, both fall and spring, we're looking at some of the parables uh, in the book of Luke. If you're like, what is a parable? Let me tell you. So the word parable in the Greek is actually parabole, which literally means to lay side by side. And so parables are stories that invite us to compare the surface meaning of the story with a deeper spiritual meaning. And, and Jesus loved to use parables all the time in his teaching. And so tonight, we're going to look at another one of those parables, uh, one called the parable of the sower uh, that's in Luke 8. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8, we're going to be starting in verse 4 uh, in just a moment, looking at that. Um, but this is probably one of the most well-known parables uh, that Jesus uh, gave, along with maybe the Good Samaritan. So you may have heard this a lot before, uh, or maybe it's your first time. That's awesome. Uh, but we're looking at this tonight, and it's found actually in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but we're in Luke 8 tonight. So we're going to start there in verse 4 and read... Um, through, I put 21, but it's not. We're going to end at the end of the parable. It's actually, I think, verse 14. So wherever that paragraph ends, I got the wrong reference in my notes, but we'll end whenever the parable ends about being fruitful, okay? So let's start there uh, in verse 4. We'll read through that, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll uh, start having a discussion. It says this, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he, he being Jesus, said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But, those, uh, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. And bear fruit with patience. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we pray that, that our hearts would be good soil tonight. That you would give us uh, attentiveness to your word. Uh, that you and your spirit would work powerfully in this room to open hearts to believe. To, um, for those that do believe, to be challenged and invited into a deeper walk with you. Into deeper obedience. And that all of us would walk away um, different because of our time in your word tonight. And you would have your way. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. So have you ever uh, been accused of not listening to somebody? Or maybe like being a bad listener? Maybe you're like, you've been on the phone with a friend, 
And you're like, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. And your friend's like, are you listening to me? Like, are you really listening? And I've definitely been there a couple of times, to be honest. My wife will tell you that there's a couple of times. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I guess you're a babe. And she's like, what did I just say? I'm like, uh, it was about the kids. She's like, nope. I'm like, uh, failed. Bad husband award for the day. All right, but for me in my life, the one I usually am dealing with with listening uh, is with my kids, right? I'm like, hey, don't eat that crayon. Listen to me. Like, don't eat the crayon. Don't throw that toy at your sister, right? And then they do it. I'm like, you're not listening to me. Like, listen to me, son, Chloe, you know? And like, and you've probably heard that from your parents many times in life, right? Like, you're not listening to me. Listen. I need you to listen. But when that happens, like, we know, right? The issue is not that the, the sound waves did not enter into your ears, right? <laughs> it's not that it didn't go in. You, didn't, you physically received the sound waves, right? But the issue is that you didn't actually act on what you were told, right? So listening and obeying are connected because the evidence that we really listened is that we respond correctly, right? And the Bible has a similar category for that. Um, actually, in, in ancient Hebrew, there is actually no word for obey in the sense of like, I hear someone tell me to do something and I do it. There is no word for obey in that sense. There's only the word listen. With, it's called shema. It's the word shema that you maybe are familiar with in Deuteronomy. But it's to listen. But in biblical perspective, to listen and obey are two sides of, of the same coin. And hearing but not listening means you just heard, and that can have some very serious consequences. And we see that in the parable tonight, this danger of just uh, hearing and not actually listening and obeying. And we're going to see that tonight in Luke uh, chapter 8. But before, before we dive into the details of that, I do want us to consider just the context of this parable, because that's really important. When Jesus tells a parable, he's telling it in a setting with people that influence how we think about it. And so in Luke 8 at this point, Jesus has developed a huge following of people. He's been working miracles, healing the sick. He's been raising people from the dead, and people have noticed. So there's this crowd that are now following him, but the crowd is a mixed bag. You've got some people that are all in on Jesus. They may still be trying to figure out a couple things with the Messiah part and all that, but they're all in, devoted to him. You've got others that are kind of not sure. They're kind of just exploring this, figuring it out. You even have ones who are just waiting for him to mess up and say the wrong thing. So they can go and report him to the religious leaders and say, hey, he's blaspheming. Let's you know, throw him in jail or something. So you have this mixed bag of people. And Jesus takes that setting as an opportunity to clarify what it actually means to respond properly to his teaching. And the simple answer that we'll unpack a lot more tonight is this, is that the proper response to Jesus is not simply to hear his word, but to respond by doing it and obeying it. And that's what real faith looks like. It's not just to hear, but to obey. And that obedience is then evidence of real faith, real trust in Jesus that saves us. It's not just being surrounded by the words of Jesus, but actually obeying them that shows that we have real faith and have entered into a real relationship with Jesus. And to kind of illustrate that in this parable, Jesus uses in the parable of the sower, like one of the easiest illustrations he could have used for the people at the time, right? Because this is an agrarian society, so farming is such a big part of their culture, right? That's why Jesus all the time is using illustrations about farming. That's what they understood. That was their culture. If he were to be here today, he'd probably talk about iPhones and the internet and TikTok or something. But at the time, farming was the, the um, understanding and context of the day that he'd used all the time. There's also a lot of things we can learn from that we'll get into. But at the time, you know, when a farmer would go and plant seed, 
what he would do is often he would have a large sack he would have full of seed and he would go out to his field and he would just take handfuls of it and kind of just scatter it broadly he'd just throw it out onto the field you know some of it would land in, in good soil some of it would land in bad soil and just depending on where it landed is where it maybe took root and grew but he was very kind of open with just throwing out the seed for it to grow and Jesus kind of picks up on that picture of a, a farmer sowing seed to really talk about four different categories of seed and what that means for us. And the four we see in the parable are this. There's first the path, right, where the seed is walked on and the birds come and eat it. Uh, the second is the seed that falls on the rocky soil that sprouts up quickly, but then doesn't have enough water, doesn't have roots, so it dies away quickly. The third is the seed that falls on the soil, but it has weeds and thorns in it. And so it's choked up as it grows. And the last one, the fourth one, is the one that grows in good soil and produces fruit. And it bears fruit, he says, a hundredfold. And so with that then, like, what's the point of all this? Like, how do we understand what Jesus is trying to teach us here? Well, the convenient thing is that Jesus tells us in this one. We don't have to do a lot of interpretive work in this parable because Jesus literally tells us uh, what he means by this. And so if you're taking notes, if you want to think of a heading for this, like one point, the first point we'll address is the purpose of parables. Like, what's the purpose of parables? And that is this, is that if you notice how Jesus at the end of that parable says that phrase, he says, he who has ears let him hear. And basically he's saying there that, hey, you just heard what I said, but not all of you are going to listen and truly obey. You heard it, but not all of you will understand it and obey. And that becomes clear because immediately after Jesus says this parable, one of the disciples raises his hand. It's like, Jesus, what in the world does that mean? Like, what are you talking about? And thankfully for us, Jesus answers them and it's recorded in scripture. And he tells them this first off before he gets into the interpretation. He says this, and I'll read kind of what he says. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they're in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And we could talk a lot about this tonight, but if I can break it down kind of simply for us, I would say this, is that Jesus says that the purpose of parables is that they're meant to reveal and conceal. Right? You like that? that rhyme there and that convenient to remember to reveal and conceal that those who are willing to truly listen and to, to seek to understand Jesus who are leaning into what he's about and who he is those who are seeking him the parables reveal they reveal the truth they reveal like Jesus says the secrets to the kingdom of God it's revealed to them if they lean in and seek him but to those who don't really want to seek after Jesus who are not leaning in and seeking to understand what the parables do is they just confuse people Right? They, they hide away the truth that people say, I don't understand this. This is confusing. I, I'm, I'm done. I'm walking away. So Jesus speaks in parables really as a way to be like a filter. He's filtering out those who truly want to seek him versus, the, versus those who don't. And that especially happens in his ministry on earth, but it still even happens sometimes today. But with the parables, they're meant to reveal and to conceal. That's the purpose. So we see that there. But then Jesus goes on to interpret this parable for them. And it gives us these pictures of how we can respond properly to him. So if you want a second heading, we're just talking about our response to the word. I have no fancy alliteration for you tonight. I'm not very Baptist tonight, so sorry about that. But second heading, how do we respond to the word, our response to the word. So just consider some of the things in here. First, he says, the seed is the word of God. And obviously, word of God, you think what? Probably the Bible, right? That's, that's a good application. But even more than that, what is Jesus called in John 1? The book of John chapter 1, he's called the Word, right? So even Jesus, we could say, is the Word of God. 
So we can say that these four soils are a picture of how we respond, not just to like me standing up here and teaching the Bible, right? As good as, good as that is. But I'm not saying I'm good at this. But like as good as like, you know, us being in a setting is, you know. But not just that, but also even how we respond to the gospel. Right? The gospel of Jesus. His life, death, and resurrection in our place so that we can be saved from our sin and, and brought into an eternal life with him. These are pictures of how we respond to the truth of the good news of Jesus. And one of the important things that we're going to see here is that that response is not just a one-time thing. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a good application of these verses, like I mentioned, to consider a setting like this, that we want to stay focused and have our hearts be, be good soil. Like I prayed that at the beginning of uh, our time together. Like I often pray that even before I get up to teach, is that I pray that, that my heart, that our hearts would be good soil for the word of God. But the most significant thing about this parable is how the illustration used is not just an overnight thing, but it's a process. It's a matter of growth over time. And too often we think about faith like an on-off switch, right? That, you know, I, I didn't have faith in Jesus, but then I made this decision and I, I checked the box and I walked the aisle, I prayed the prayer, I got baptized. And those are very important things. Like the... Um, like walking with Jesus and salvation involves a decision, right? It involves that first step where the Bible would tell us to repent and believe, to turn from our sin and to trust in Jesus. It, it has to involve some kind of first step where we put our faith in Christ. But the thing is, it's not just a one and done. Like it's not just a one-time decision and we check that box. But author and pastor Eugene Peterson, uh, he used the phrase, a long obedience in the same direction, is what faith is like. It's a long obedience in the same direction. My, one of my former campus ministers, not Kim, but Nate, who used to be here, would always say, faith is a step followed by a process. You've heard me say that before, but it's a step followed by a process. So if we think we truly know Jesus, but yet we're not committed to this process of following him, growing in him, bearing fruit that comes from his spirit's work in our life, then Jesus would, would call us to, to maybe to pause and ask some questions about, like, do we really have a true faith in him? Not to instill fear in anybody, but Jesus, I think, in this parable is inviting us to question if we don't have some fruit, some growth, this process that we're committed to, like, do we really have genuine faith in Jesus? And so we're going to look at a couple of these examples and, and ask some questions about ourselves that I think are helpful. So, and we see that in these first three soils. And the first soil is this. It's the one on the path, right? It's the one where Jesus interprets and says that people hear the word, but the devil comes and takes it away so they can't believe and be saved. And if you're like me, like I read that, and honestly, it kind of sounds weird because like I'm a Western, educated, modern person, right? So I, I don't really think about Satan and demons as often as I probably should, right? Like for many of us, our theology of Satan is not very well informed. It's more informed by TV and movies, than by like the Bible. So we read verses about Satan taking away things like that, right? This kind of sounds weird. Like, I don't know how to understand this. But these verses are really a strong reminder for us of the reality of Satan and that he is at work in the world and that he's real. First Peter uh, 5.8 tells us this, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So Satan and the demons, they're opposed to God's work in every way. And in our life, their goal is to keep us away from, um, from responding to God's word properly 
so that we will have the same destination they do, to be punished forever in eternity, to receive eternal punishment. So we got to be watchful then in our own lives and aware of the way that Satan may be working to interfere with us and with other people hearing the word and believing God's word. Now, one thing to remember is Satan and demons, they're not omnipresent. They can't be everywhere. They're not everywhere like God is. And so because of that, we often sometimes give Satan and demons maybe more credit than we should for things, maybe have an unhealthy like thought life about them, but I don't think most of us are that way. Most of us probably think too little about them. So this is a stark reality for us to consider is like how often do we consider these things and often do we pray about them? But if I can give you, I'm not going to give you a lot of book recommendations tonight. I'm only going to give you one, but there's a great book about this that's actually fiction, but I find super helpful to consider spiritual warfare. It's The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Some of y'all knew where I was going with that. The Screwtape Letters, very helpful book. It's fiction. He's not saying it's real, how like, you know, there's not like a hierarchy of businessmen in like hell or whatever like he talks about. But it's a great book, I think, to understand spiritual warfare in our life. C.S. Lewis, Screwtape Letters, it's not even that long. You go on YouTube and actually listen to a guy do like the voice acting stuff for it. It's really cool. So there's the recommendation. But here's the thing, like, how do we respond to then this reality then of spiritual warfare and Satan seeking to interfere in the sowing of the word? Well, I think the answer is simple but powerful. Is that we pray. We pray that we fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. And so prayer is that weapon that we're given. And that's why we've already mentioned it a little bit. But even here at BCM, while we're seeking to uh, increase and uh, build a more robust prayer strategy in our ministry, because we understand the reality of this spiritual warfare. That's why we're giving different prayer points each week at our journey groups, so we can spend time praying for churches at work around the world, to pray for things going on on campus, for unbelieving students, for believing students. That's why we're committed to prayer, because we know that as we pray, we hope that that prayer and those points will be a catalyst for all of us to be more active, not just at a journey group, but really in our whole life to pray for God's word to be heard and believed. And that, that then leads us to also be better sowers of the word. So prayer is, I think, the response to that. So that's the first soil. What about the second soil? So the second one in is, is the rocky soil, which Jesus tells us is where people hear the word and receive it with joy, but they don't have any roots. So they believe it for a while, but when they're tested, they fall away. And in Jesus's context, you got to imagine these people would be those who initially followed him and loved the miracles, loved the feeding of the 5,000, loved him raising people from the dead, loved how eloquent he could speak and how powerfully he could teach. But once he became unpopular, you know, maybe once he uh, is arrested, especially once he's died and maybe the, even after he's been raised and the disciples are being killed, they're the ones who are like, okay, I'm out now. Like, I, I'm not doing this anymore. They walk away. And that would be his context. But even in our context today, that's still a reality for many people. Did you know that like over 13 Christians are killed every day for their faith? It's over 5,000 a year is what Open Doors USA would tell us. Over 5,000 Christians today in 2024, 23 have been killed for their faith. So this reality is still there for many people in the world. And really the pressure of persecution can be a filter for people to, to show evidence, do I really believe in this? Am I really committed to following Jesus or am I just in when it's convenient? But even for us today in society, we may not face the threat of being killed, you know, but we do face sometimes the potential to be embarrassed for our faith, to be ostracized by friends or family because of our, because of our faith. And for many people, that can be a reason they're like, I'm, I'm out. Like I, I know people who have responded in like a worship service or some other kind of evangelistic setting where they've responded to the, the gospel 
initially seemed like they were all in and excited about it. But then when it came time for them to go and like own their faith with their family, with friends, with roommates, and it began to like cost them something, and it maybe began to cost them stopping doing some things they used to do with those people, they were out. They were done. I, I was like, this is too hard for me. Like, I, I, I'm not going to do this. And it became evident that that initial springing up of that, that plant was just, it wasn't real. It was just maybe joy in a moment, excitement in a moment. And that's the real test that I think we can ask both in this one and the next one we'll look at is the question with this is, do we think Jesus is worth it? Like, is Jesus really worth the cost? Like, do we see him as the treasure that's worth losing everything for? Because if we don't really see Jesus that way, we might not really know Jesus because he is that treasure, that pearl of great price that's worth selling everything for. And that should be our motive in obeying him and what leads to fruitfulness in our life. So that's the second soil. But then the third soil is a similar but different group of people. It's a soil, like Jesus tells us, with weeds and thorns. And these are those who hear, but over time they are choked by the, the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. And I think for most of us in the room, like this is the one that we should be the most concerned about because this soil represents a, a more subtle threat to authentic faith. It's simply, it's not the, the persecutions necessarily, the extreme things that are the threat. It's just like the normal stuff of life that keeps you from really following Jesus. Because Jesus, like we mentioned uh, in the rocky soil, the question is, like, do we really think Jesus is worth it, both in the big and the small things? You know, we might say if someone's threatening our life, to, you know, uh, deny Jesus or I'm going to kill you. We may say, yeah, I would, I, would, I would be willing to die for Jesus, you know, in that moment. But are we also willing to live for Jesus boldly when our life's comfortable and when it's easy, when there's not a threat? But yet in this soil, the threat is not the big dangerous things, but really the, the subtle, comfortable things in life. Because the, the temptation for many of us, I think, just in the South and in our culture is this, is that the temptation is to equate being a Christian with like religious activity, that we go to church on a Sunday, that we go to Bible study, maybe we do some mission trips, we can go to Bible study and, and even know all the right language and speak really well, talk a good game about God and Jesus in the Bible. But I think this parable would ask the question, like, how does your faith in Jesus actually affect how you live your life on a day-to-day -day basis? How does your faith in Christ affect how you make decisions? How does it affect how you spend your time? How do you spend your money, what little of it you have? How do you spend your money? Like, how, do you, how does your faith in Christ affect what you look at on your phone and what you put in front of your face? How does it affect how, how you date? How does your faith affect who you date? How does your faith affect how you talk, how you treat other people? How does your faith affect the way that you love and serve people that are hard to love and hard to care for? The people that aren't going to give you anything in return. They're not going to give you any social status in return. How do you love and serve those people? Those are all just a few examples of real signs of a life changed by Jesus, the fruit that we're talking about. It doesn't mean that you're like nailing all those things perfectly, but I think the question we want to ask is, is there like evidence of change in our life over time, the trajectory of our life since we say we made a profession of faith, do we see evidence of growth in our life? Because that's the question that Jesus is asking us. Because if we get into this habit of consistently maybe being in a setting like this, where we hear about Jesus, or maybe at church we hear about the things of God, but then we actually don't respond to it, we just kind of harden our hearts and say, yeah, I got that even though we don't really live it out at all, we don't apply it to our lives, 
the more we respond and don't listen, we, the more we're in danger of hardening our hearts against God's voice. And like a hardened soil, just the harder it gets, the more uh, it rejects more easily the water because it's just dry and it's cracked and it's not going to let anything grow in it because it's been hardened over time. It's like with a flu shot. You know, when you get a flu shot, you get just enough of the virus to keep you from getting sick. I think for some of us, we have just enough of Jesus to keep from getting saved. That we know just enough to think, okay, I'm good. I prayed the prayer, right? When there's no real evidence in our lives that we've really been changed by Jesus. There's no process of following him and no fruit. And we're looking back to that one moment without seeing any fruit and there's no devotion to him. And that's what Jesus is challenging us to do. And so I'll say, like, if you're here tonight and you realize that, like, Jesus is inviting you tonight to walk with him for real and to know him truly, to lay down your empty religion and come to him and give him your everything because that's all he wants and to give you true life and to start this journey of walking with him. So that's you. I'd love to talk to you more about that and give you some next steps and we'll talk about that in a minute. But we got to do one more soil and that's the, the good soil. The good soil that Jesus says are people who truly take the word into their hearts and, and they bear fruit with patience. And really this is just a great picture of what uh, the Christian life should be. Like it's a person finding their whole life in Christ and bearing fruit because of their connection to Jesus. It's not them. It's not their own goodness, their own like righteousness. It's Jesus working through them. It's the spirit bearing fruit in their life. And like we said, it's not just a one-time event, but it's a process. It begins with a step of putting faith in Christ, but it's a process of growth over time. And that process, like in the way we grow is really pretty simple. It's simply staying connected to Jesus, as John would say, to abide in Christ and then really lean into the resources that he has given us to grow. You think about, it's kind of oversimplified, but what does a plant need to grow? It needs good soil, it needs water, it needs sunlight, and it's probably going to grow fine. The weeds in my yard don't need much at all. That's about all they need to grow and get in my way of my yard. And so with that in our own life, we had to think about, okay, what things do I need to do to cultivate and nurture my faith? And there's really simple things that we could probably all list off, but simple things like time in the Bible. Not just maybe checking a box if I did my reading for today, but time meditating and studying God's word. Asking, what is God speaking to me through his word? Time in prayer with the Lord. Even just Christian community and church community. Those are so important to cultivate a faith. If we don't have those things in our life, we shouldn't be surprised if we're withering, right? Because that's like having your plant be in the dark with no water and like super dry uh, soil. Like, of course it's going to wither and die because it's not being cultivated, but also on the other side of that, there's also having to watch out for the, the weeds and the things that will maybe choke out our faith and choke out our love for Jesus. Like for some of you, that may be like some unhealthy relationships you have that don't point you to Jesus, that are choking out your love for Christ. It could be maybe too much time on your phone. It could be watching certain things on uh, your TV, whatever it is, or maybe certain things you're like, man, these things are really hindering me in my growth with the Lord. They're weighing me down. They're choking out my faith. It could even be good things that are just keeping you from finding your ultimate uh, worship and identity in Christ that you recognize, man, I need to like limit some of this stuff. You know, like I need to uh, spend more time in the word and less time on devices because I'm maybe not looking at just terrible things on my phone, but I'm spending less time in the word. Whatever it is that maybe is choking out faith, recognizing I need to prune some stuff, right? Prune some things in my life to continue to cultivate this love for Jesus. Because we have to be both on the offensive and the defensive when it comes to cultivating a vibrant faith in Christ. So that's the four souls that we see and how we respond. But with our last few minutes tonight, before we wrap up, 
I do want to consider just a little bit bigger picture what our call is to be sowers of the word. So if you want a third point, this is our call to sow, our call to sow the word. But in this time, I also consider like, what does it mean for the believers in the room who want to be about sowing the word as well? Because yes, Jesus in the parable, he's the one sowing the word. He's the one doing that action. But he also calls all of us as Christians. If you're a Christian in the room, he calls you to be a sower of the word as well, to be about the harvest. So first consider this as individuals. What does this mean? Well, this means first off, it's important to remember that we have a responsibility to be at work in the harvest field, that we can't expect somebody else to be about sharing the gospel, that we have to take personal responsibility for the lostness around us and personal responsibility to be a witness for Jesus in the places that he has put us on campus and in this community. To not say, oh, someone else will do that, but to take personal responsibility for the lostness around you. And it's not just a responsibility, really, but it's a privilege, right? Like, it's a, I consider it's a privilege that God will use such a jacked up person as me to be a witness for Jesus in the gospel and to share this good news. And so we have the responsibility and the privilege, but here's the thing. We have both those things, but we don't have the responsibility on how people respond. We have the responsibility to, to share. We have the responsibility to sow, but we don't have the responsibility of how people respond. A few verses come to mind for me. I won't quote them at length, but 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul talks about how we plant the seed, but God gives the growth. That we plant, but God is the one that ultimately gives the growth in response. Another one that you may have heard before, Isaiah 55, 11, where that says that God's word will not return void, will not return empty, but it will accomplish his purposes. Whether that be that person doesn't respond or not, it's accomplishing something. It wasn't wasted. That gospel conversation, that time you shared with your family member, it wasn't a waste of time. It was God using it. It did not return void. Because people may reject us. If you've been out with us for campus reach much, you know people reject you a lot. Maybe not blatantly and like push you away or punch you in the face, but turn you away. Maybe say, I'm good. I don't want to talk about that. You're going to get rejected. And we can't control that. Like, we just have the responsibility to share the gospel as well as we can. And we trust God with the results. We share and we trust God. Um, but even if they respond to belief, we understand according to this parable, like some people are going to fall away. And we can't control that either. That we do have a responsibility as Christians, if someone comes to faith, to disciple them, help them establish a good foundation in their faith with Christ. But at the end of the day, we can't do the growth for them. right? That, that growth ultimately is their responsibility and it's God's work in their life. We just do what we can to help disciple and invest in them. So at the end of the day, we can let that pressure maybe be off as well, that, that we can't save people and that we're not ultimately responsible for what only God can do in someone's life. So when I think about sowing the word and sharing the gospel, this kind of stuff is encouraging to me because it really does, like I said, it takes the pressure off. It means that I just have the job to share the gospel as well as I can, to be the best tool I can uh, be in God's toolbox, but ultimately he's the one that does the work. I'm just responsible to share and just to be faithful. And he's the one that changes lives and saves people. I just want to be faithful and take, like I said, responsibility for the lostness around me. So that's as individuals, but one more thing. What about us as a ministry? As, as a BCM, like what is our role as a ministry in sowing the word? Well, let me give you a couple of numbers to consider here. On our campus, we estimate uh, that only like 5 to 10%, 5 to 10% of students on campus are connected with any church or ministry. Only 5 to 10% of campus is connected to a church or ministry. That means there's over 30,000 students in Tuscaloosa who are probably lost, who are dying and going to hell. 
who need to hear the gospel or who need maybe a relationship with a Christian so they can not only share the gospel but live out the gospel and see the change. And another stat for you here is this, is that about 97% of people who become a Christian become a Christian before the age of 30. So 97% of people in the world usually become a Christian before they hit 30. So that means that this campus, all of our campuses in Tuscaloosa are full of people mostly below 30. They are just a, a ripe harvest for the gospel. And we have such an amazing opportunity as individuals and as a ministry to be about sharing the gospel and sowing the word. And that's why I like SBCM. We're so passionate about sharing the gospel, about training you guys in how to share your faith and giving you opportunities to do that at things like Campus Reach that happen on Fridays. But we're all about this because we understand uh, the responsibility, the opportunity, and the desperate need that we see on our campuses. So I want to invite you, like if you haven't been about this kind of work and you've never shared your faith, this is new to you or you want to get um, plugged into this, we'd love to talk to you more about that give you some opportunities, like a, a training we're going to do Sunday night, we'll talk about more later, to have you uh, have a chance to learn how to share your faith and be a sower of the word. So we'll give you more info about that in a second. But I want to close with this. Uh, grab that card that you had when you first sat down tonight. Um, we're going to start doing this a little bit more here at, at Discovery this semester. But what I want to do is this. Um, I want to invite you to respond um, to this message and consider a couple of different ways um, that you can do that. And we're going to make it more analog, like, like I said, with the paperback Bibles and the cards, we're going old school. But I want you to consider this card and think about, from the parable of the sower tonight and all that we've talked about, like, what is God speaking to you and how do you need to respond? So look at that card with me. You've got your contact info at the top, share what, what you like to with us. But can just consider a couple of things. Like maybe tonight you're on that, that left side of that box which says, today I'm committing my life to Christ for the first time. You're, you're realizing I, I don't have a real faith in Jesus and I want to take that first step right tonight of this process by committing my life to Jesus. Like, check that box. We'd love to talk to you more about that. And also, I'll be in the back tonight. If you want to talk in person tonight, Kim and I would love to do that. But if you would rather do the card, we totally can do that as well. Or maybe you have a next step, and there's something you want to fill in the blank. Write that down. We would love to help you in that process. But also on the right side, you got some options. Like, I want to learn more about what it means to follow Jesus. Like, I'm not in yet, but I want to learn more. Or I want to know about summer missions. I want to join a journey group. I want to serve in our ministry and be a part of helping this ministry grow in being a sower of the word on campus. Check any of those boxes. We love to get with you on that. And last two things is we'd love to hear what your main takeaway from tonight was for you. What was the takeaway from the message and even how you're going to apply it? And lastly, how can we pray for you there at the bottom? So I'd love for you to fill this out as much as you would like to. And what we're going to do is this. The band's going to come up. So band, y'all can go and come up uh, if you want to. We're going to give you just like a minute, a minute or two to, to fill out that card as much as you would like while the band plays. And then after that, we're going to sing one more song. You can leave this card in your chair if you want to put it under the chair to hide it away. We're not going to grab it and like sell your info on the black market or anything, but just hide it away under the chair or on it. We'll go around and collect those at the end. Um, and we'd love to connect with you on how you, uh, you feel like God is calling you to respond uh, to his word tonight. Uh, like I mentioned, if you want to talk in person, we'll be in the back even tonight during this song. But we all, I think, have a way we can respond. So I want to encourage you, how is God calling you to respond to his word tonight? So let's pray, and we'll have a moment to respond on the cards. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it challenges us, how it, it, it asks us, uh, are we going to be good listeners and hearers of your word? Are we truly going to respond? Or are we going to let it go in one ear and out the other? And so I pray for these students tonight. I know they've had a long day, a lot going on. 
Uh, but I pray that in these moments and that in the moments we've had so far that you have been speaking to them, that you would give them a clear way that you were calling them to take a next step, whether it's to share their faith with a friend or roommate, whether they realize they, they haven't put their faith in Jesus, they want to do that tonight. Whatever it is that you would um, not only give them the clarity of how to respond, but the boldness and conviction to do it. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for this truth that you have come to us and that Jesus himself, the son of God, has revealed the truth, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven to us so that we can understand and respond and have this relationship with you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.